Once again, this is Nuance. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Mike Scala, joined as always by Jay Carter, also known as Timid. He's the hip hop MC and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Oh uh, man, just chilling, man. Same old, same old. Nursing a wound, actually. But, Nursing uh, a wound? What's that about? <laughs> uh, I was making a I was making pickled carrots for for my mother and grandmother and uh caught my fingernail on the grater and so yeah it seemed to lift up the nail so wow not a good this is why i keep cooking to the professionals well we've got a very special guest with us this week we've got jasper von seberg who was the interim chief of staff at queen's link what's going on jasper hi mike thanks for having me on yes absolutely and of course we wanted to have you on to discuss the upcoming Queenslink Town Hall, and people are asking about the recent developments surrounding the Queenslink project, so we will get into that. But before we do, we'd like to start off with something on the lighter side, and in this case, it's actually apropos because it's a stand-up comedy special we want to talk about. I guess you can say part of pop culture this week and something that a lot of people are talking about on social media, the Chris Rock Netflix special. I know you saw that, Jay. Yeah. Um like I, I actually only learned about the special from social media because I was going through Twitter and I saw people there's like a backlash event against Chris Rock. Um, and so like I was like, well, what are they talking about? So I'm talking about the new special that came out a couple of days ago on Netflix called um, Selective Selective Outrage, I believe that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah, so I had to check it out. I had to see it. Um, I was surprised some people had already seen it, but, um, you know, so I jumped on it and watched it. And mainly what people are talking about is the last seven minutes of the special, which is where he finally addresses uh, what happened with him and Will Smith. And he goes in on, on Will and Jada in that seven minutes and he doesn't hold back. And so that's mainly what people are talking about. The rest of the, the rest of it is the standard Chris Rock sort of um, uh, stand up special. I mean, there are some other criticisms that people are going at him for. Because he talked about Meghan Markle um, and some of the things he went there, yeah. Um, but all in all, I think it was a you know same good Chris Rock special, no different than others. But that well, that last bit against the Smiths is what people were really wanting yeah. to. That's the part to. that everyone is talking about. But just on that point of it being a standard special, I actually watched it thinking it looked different from the specials of his that I had seen in the past, especially the older ones, because if you recall. The older ones, especially, and, and the big famous ones where I forget the names of them, but like, for example, the one I think they use in Bowling for Columbine, where he talks about there shouldn't be gun control, there should be bullet control. That was a mm -hmm. big famous bit that he had. And he's very animated in that. Like, that was kind of his signature style, like, kind of like marching across the stage, being loud and boisterous. On this one, he kind of seemed like an older dude, or I don't know, like, he was like, his style was definitely different to me. He was kind of like holding the mic more like this, like, he didn't seem as assertive and dominant as, and maybe it's just a sign of maturity, you know, but. It, that struck me as something different. It wasn't the typical Chris Rock that I was used to. Well, I mean, he, I mean, he's he is older now. Um, maybe it's just you know he's uh, a little bit more of a uh, comfort level on the on on the stage where he doesn't feel he has has to be a little bit more boisterous. He can just come out, and just just do his thing. Like if you look at comedy uh, comedians over the years, you know, the more they get accustomed to that to stage and like really feel like they own it, like you know, their demeanor changes. And, and it's the same with. With with rhyming and with um, performing on the stage, you know, 
Yeah, it reminded me actually of Biggie's first two albums. The first album, he's more loud and in your face and aggressive in his delivery and his style. And the second album, he's more subdued. But that's a product of him being in the studios and kind of being in the industry, being more comfortable with his voice in that setting. Whereas when you're coming up, Ryan, and you're on the street, maybe you're yelling, you're trying to get people's attention. It's a different atmosphere. It could be a similar type deal there where maybe it's even a matter of just your confidence levels like you alluded to increasing over time and just being more secure in yourself. You know, there's a psychological trick. I actually learned it in law school. One of the most interesting classes I took in law school was called method acting for lawyers. And they taught you all these different tricks like speaking slowly and calmly and even with a lower voice, lower um, volume in your voice, because it makes people lean in and try to understand what you're saying, try to figure you out, try to come to you. Whereas if you're yelling and you're all in their face, it kind of makes them lean back a little bit, right? So right. it's that kind of thing. Draw people in with that kind of calm confidence. But you, speaking wise, you, I think you kind of did that anyway. Um, you are not really, never were really like the boisterous type. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but definitely that happens with, with performers and whatnot. And I think like, even if you're looking rhyme wise, like some of my, my earlier rhymes, they're a lot more vocabulary heavy. It's because of, you know, trying to fill up the empty space. Whereas you get more accustomed to it, more comfortable with it, more like, you know, I own this type of thing. Like you can be more comfortable in the dead space or, or, or that space in between words and don't feel like you have to put so much, you know what I mean, into it. So, right. So that could be what, what Chris is feeling, but, or just, you know, it's just, I think it's evolution. It's age, it's confidence, it's maturity, it's wisdom, it's all of those things. And your style is going to change and evolve over time. That's natural. But it was striking to me, right? Because it's not that usual Chris Rock marching across the stage yelling that, that I was used to. Right. Yeah. Now, you, I'm sure you, you're aware of the situation, uh, Jasper, the, the Oscars situation, Will Smith, Chris Rock, right? Yeah, I did actually watch that live. Um, it was pretty head turning but yeah no I, I i didn't really i didn't really follow everything after that uh, i didn't yeah. see that well see the, here's the thing is like this whole time chris has been silent he hasn't told anyone any any reaction anything this whole time so that's what i think what's really built this up is that finally we're hearing from chris rock and so he gives this seven minute rant on the situation telling about what happened his position in it and his feelings and all this thing and so he does that now i think the first half of that seven minute rant is actually the comedian side the jokes but that last bit sounds to me more like he was just getting something off his chest it was just less about the jokes and was more i got stuff to say um yeah. and to me sounded like whatever he would have said in the car or backstage after the incident happened when he's talking amongst his friends type of thing. So. Now I feel like he deserves that, honestly. Um, Cause he, he really, Will Smith did really act like a child and there's, there's no way around it. And it's, you know, it's, it's, I feel it's a lesson that we should be taking going forward and how we handle ourselves generally especially at times you know where millions and millions of people are watching yeah and I, had no I really didn't have a problem with the content of what chris rock was saying there i know there were some people who were going at him for it for whatever reasons i thought it was fine that was his perspective clearly and he voiced it 
no issues for me. Right. And see, that's what I don't know if he foresaw that. So if you look on, on social media when it dropped in the last couple of days, there's been it's probably been about 50 50, maybe even a little bit more. It seems like people are no longer taking Chris's side. There are a lot of people saying, wow, like Will needs to smack him again or he deserved that slap. Um, and so I don't think, you know, because this whole year he's kind of been enjoying the goodwill of everyone because it's like, oh, Chris took the high road. He was professional. Uh, that was unwarranted. It came really out of nowhere. Um, and he kept the show going, that type of thing. And then special drops. And now people are like, wow, Chris has always been like uh, misogynistic and uh, he's talked down to black women and, and thrown black people under the bus. And, you know, maybe uh Will should have smacked him again. Like, it's like, wow, that, I didn't see that coming. So that's uh, kind of crazy. So, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the special was released when it's now when it's released because we got the Oscars coming up again. So it's right before the Oscars. So that makes it, it makes like it makes sense to, to drop it right before that because it gets that, that extra buzz on it as well. So you think people are just thinking of the Oscars coming up so more people want to watch the special because it's on their mind? No, I think for him to drop it, it's like, you know, the, uh, yeah, kind of like that. The Oscars are coming up. We remember what happened last year. You know, people are going to probably wondering, oh, is Chris Rock going to be hosting again or is he coming back on the show again? And then he's going to drop the special and it's finally him saying something, you know, yeah. I think from a business standpoint, him not saying something all year and then if he was going to record this special, if he's going to sell that to like a Netflix or HBO Max or something like that, well, they could probably get a bidding war because it's like, oh, finally he's speaking. Oh, we want right. to get the conclusion. It, to me, the reason why he most likely didn't say anything all year is because he was selling tickets to his stand-up show. He wanted people to come to the show to watch him respond yeah. because I heard from people who have been to his shows over the past months and they said it was exactly the same as the special. So he was just doing that, that set on the road all year. Right. And that's, I mean, that's what comedians do, right? They, they work their set all year before they do the special so that they can get the ins and out of the joke, ins and outs of the joke and get right. uncomfortable with the timing and, and what's going to be the best response. So yeah, I'm not surprised there. So yeah. And also you saw, he even messed up the joke. I think he got, yeah, so I was going to say that he messed up the joke about Will Smith, one of them in the, at the end, but they kept it in because I believe it was originally broadcast live on Netflix. And so wow. what you saw was him just doing the show live, which is rare. Usually when you see a stand-up special, it's very tightly edited. Right. Yeah. So I think that would that probably doing that way. I'm sure it was purposeful as far as being able to um, be exclusive with, with this on a, on a wide scale. And in fact, just come to think of it now, one of those earlier specials of his that I saw, I believe, was in three different venues. One was in South Africa, if I remember. I think one might have been in New York. And, and they kind of meshed them all together. So it was the same set, but you saw clips of him from each venue. And it was cutting back and forth between the scenes, telling the same jokes. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, stand-up guys do that. Um, they take the best out of, out of each bit. And right. best crowd reaction. That's right. type of but when you have that one mess up in there, that's a signal that, hey, this is live, this is not edited, and it makes the rest of it all that more impressive because you're like, okay, so he just went a whole hour without messing up, that means. Yeah. And, and that, that is impressive. I mean, as someone who's, we've done, you know, hour-long sets um, on stage, you know, 
we shouldn't have speeches huh we shouldn't have but we did <laughs> looking yeah. back on that like no one really should be up there for an hour doing music i don't think unless you're like you know billy joel at the garden or whatever <laughs> <laughs> okay you know hey if that's what they booked you for yeah yeah so i had that conversation with um uh thrill to play from 69 boys and so um you know they've sold sold millions of records he's known for um the song tootsie roll um and we had that conversation once and he's like usually when they book when they book him because i said yeah i just did this we just did a show it was like 45 minutes blah blah and he's like 45 minutes on stage my god you know it's like but when they book him people are booking him for the, the few hits right they don't want to hear the rest of the catalog and he's like you know you got to do it you're doing your catalog basically um or more songs whereas they want they just want me to get up there and do tootsie roll basically and get off the stage in like 15 minutes and so it's kind of a double-edged sword in that regard yeah i think what's if up james paul what's going on, guys i think if it's a catalog that most people are going to know like they're there to see it. and and i even appreciate when artists will come in and they'll do a whole classic album like yeah. Nas actually yeah. just did a show one time only at msg i was kind of disappointed that i missed it where he went through the king's disease catalog and the three albums that he dropped over the past few years then also did some of his classic nomadic stuff and, and kind of you know took it back brought az out that was cool but people were all there to see him do all of those songs right so it, does, it depends on the type of show it is and you know and, and what it is if it's just a show where a lot of people are performing you know 15 minutes is probably good enough if you know yeah, you know, yeah. your whole catalog right yeah for sure for sure so anyway we wanted to get into the queen's link town hall that we have coming up and a lot of people have been asking about the status of the queen's link project generally we did a rally in october and it was a big success and it brought a lot of attention on the project of course that was coming out of the mayor's announcement that they were moving forward with phase one of the queen's way which is the competing park plan and us we at queen's link have always said listen we're not against the park plan but we want to make sure that this is all done in a way that preserves that right of way for transit transit has to be the priority that you can build in infrastructure for parks and bike paths and wherever else you want but let's make sure that train can get through and of course we were concerned that the announcement at the time would have possibly threatened the construction of the queen's link and the way that it was being done really without transit being part of the, that table and that's really what we're asking for for transit to be part of the table and make sure that we do this the right way because we only really get one chance at this once you build something on that right of way it's gonna be very hard later on to come in and undo that so whatever we build let's make sure we build it with transit in mind and um, in that spirit we've got jasper who is the interim chief of staff at queen's link right so jasper why don't you tell us how you got involved with queen's link and what is your interest in all this i know you went to school or you're going to school for transit uh, yeah, so no, I, I, I do, uh, I did go to school for, not for transit, but, um, for poli sci, and then I am planning on, uh, attending for, uh, master's in urban design and planning. Urban design. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I actually was at the rally, uh, that you had hosted, uh, in the Rockaways, and that's actually how I got involved. Um, found that just browsing online. I've, I've been keeping up. I do keep up with all sort of all the transit infrastructure news that goes on. Uh, so Queenslink, Queenslink had very much been in my eye. Um, and I had been working on a side project of my own and, and was finding a lot of connections in, in the, the, my project and Queenslink. 
and I just reached out to Andrew, uh, who uh, Andrew Lynch, who runs the uh, Van Schuchenwagen blog, and because uh, he has a lot of involvement in that project, uh, and sort of offered my assistance and help, and told him that I'd be out at the the Rockaway rally, and that went out there and spoke to him and watched the rally, and it was it was really exciting and fun, and a lot of good turnout, and yeah, I. Ever since then, I just joined the team, started working on the design specifically of uh, stations and infrastructure and how we're going to accommodate the park and all of that. Uh, there's a lot of very small, intricate parts of this right away that require a lot more um, design than others. So it's, it's just it's been a really exciting project so far. Jasper, did we meet at the rally? I, I can't recall. I don't think so. Yeah, no, I, I it was a, it was a big one. I, I only spoke to a few people. I think Miriam uh, and Andrew were the two I spoke to. Noel apparently was also there, who's one of our uh, on our design team as well, and, and didn't I didn't meet her as well. So there was a lot of mis misconnections there. Well, yeah, but no, but we all connected after the fact, and that's really why right. we did the rally, right? I mean, part of it is to send a signal to the mayor and the people in government that we have this public support and people are demanding this and elected officials as you saw are on our side that's part of it but part of it is also to raise public awareness and get more people involved so i'm glad that that aspect of it was successful yeah absolutely it was a, I'm, I'm a product of that success so i think that's uh, just gotta keep doing that and double down on it okay great so now you are the interim chief of staff at queens link and i know you're working very closely on the project and we certainly appreciate your input and, and the value that you've added to this so we are planning and you've been very instrumental in this this town hall in ozone park so can you tell us more about that yeah so uh for the past past uh i want to say three or so months we've been really focusing on ozone uh park which is the southern portion southernmost portion of the right way right before it connects to the a to the rockways um and this is a very uh particular part of the right-of-way just because it's the only section where it runs on an elevated viaduct um, everything else is on a uh, embankment of dirt most of it uh, and that requires a bit of additional planning so we the design team has sort of been working on all sorts of ideas for how to incorporate parks and transit um, and we've come up with what we feel like is a is a really exciting um, beginning for how this could all come together so the next step really is engaging with the community and going into ozone we're going to be uh bringing all of our designs that we've come up with so far and really hearing from the people what they need in their in their community and um, we expect to hear a lot of uh concern about uh sound and uh space as well and lights i think that there's um going to be a a, a really exciting discussion and I, i'm I'm really excited for it. So hope, hopefully it, it's, it's, I, I'm really hoping there's a lot of sense and we're, we're trying to put out the word right now. So. Yeah. And really that's always the most difficult part, bringing the people in. Right. Yeah. You know, it takes a lot of promotion hitting the pavement. You know, I think back to my experience, even in music, you got to go out there with the flyers and street teams and then do all that kind of stuff. But you know, you got to get the people in a room. To have that discussion so that's that's really the hardest part people sometimes people think you can just uh, announce an event and everyone's going to show up but unfortunately it doesn't work that way yeah so we, yeah we started uh, canvassing um 
I started camp with Noel and I, uh, one of our coworkers at Queenslink, uh, started canvassing this past weekend. We're going to follow it up with some some more of this uh, coming Thursday and some more on this coming weekend. So we got a good amount of of people getting out there and trying to spread the word. Um, and we're going to reach out uh, to a number of uh, different uh, Facebook groups and uh, local community organizations to try and get them involved and. Yeah, it's it's a big it's a big project, but we're we we've been working on this on these designs really hard for for quite a while now. So we're just really excited to get them out in, in the public eye. Okay, so here you see on the screen, Wampanoag Transit and Ozone Park. It's going to be March sixteenth from six thirty p.m. to nine p.m. March sixteenth is going to be next Thursday, and that's at MS one thirty seven. The address is right there, one hundred nine fifteen ninety eighth Street. What's interesting about this school is that it's really right next to the right of way. And you can see there's a, a dead end street on, off of Rockway Boulevard. And sometimes you'll see a school bus even over there. And there's, there's an entrance to the school it's parking lot over there. But the right of way is literally right over that street. Yeah. And the, it, uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting because that is where the uh, subway actually merges with the original um, LIRR viaduct. And uh, the infrastructure there is, is, is really something to hold. Um, so I suggest if you've, if you've never been out there and, and ridden along that line, it's it's, it's really quite fun. Yeah, definitely recommend it. But yeah, it passes right in front of the building. So it's it's very relevant to the community. Yes. And you mentioned now designs that you've been working on. Are these going to be presented to the people for the first time at this event? Yeah. So all of this has been kind of in, in the works um, and we've and trying to figure out the best ways to visualize it for people um, and get a sense of what the site and what we're working with uh, in the first place. So yeah, we're going to have a number of different uh, ways that we're going to show the project. We have some before and after renderings. Uh, we have some isometric drawings that are going to kind of show how the park and the viaduct, the park and the transit space on the viaduct work together. Uh, some cross sections and some isometric, not isometric diagrams, but uh, cross sections and oy. <laughs> uh, well, all those types of term T squares and whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Some, <laughs> sometimes, there's, there's, yeah, sometimes some of that goes over people's heads if they're not into that type of thing, right? And I think most people just want better, more reliable, affordable transportation. They may not care exactly how it's done and how the actual design looks, although it's good to show them and then allow people to be part of that process and also answer any questions that they might have about what they're seeing. So there's definitely a good opportunity there. I know that a major source of the debate, and this goes back to the MTA's feasibility study, was LIRR versus subway. Queenslink took the position that we're pushing the subway option. But when I first presented this plan, actually, it was a study that came out in 2019. I went to a meeting in Ozone Park, uh, Civic. And I uh, recapped the study and I asked people what were their thoughts on LIRR versus subway at the time. Most people had said LIRR in the room. And so that might be something we need to do some convincing of, telling people why we think the subway is the better option. When the MTA looked at the feasibility of both of them, it determined that the LIRR would be cheaper to build. Of course, if you use the current fare structure, it's more expensive to take the train. And that becomes an issue of access and affordability for people. But the subway was more expensive to build. And I think people did have some questions about that. And is it feasible? Is it viable to do the subway? Well, there's two things. Um, I, I, I hear 
the, the, the LAWR has been talked about for a long time, um, specifically as a connector to the JFK uh, airport. The cost is is sort of all in question again. Um, I just want to remind everybody because the MTA intentionally sandbagged the Queens the the Rock, Rockaway Beach Branch study, um, which essentially gave a, a, a feasibility study for both LAWR and Subway, as you mentioned. Um, yes, the LAWR did come out to be cheaper. Um, however, both are completely uh, misjudged by the MTA, and intentionally so. So I, I feel like we have to be wary when we talk about any specific numbers, because a lot of the LIRR part of the project was specifically going to be the connecting portion from Ozone Park to JFK Airport, which is going to require a lot of boring um, and large stations construction. So I don't think it covered all of that in, in full. Um, so I, I personally, uh, th there's a lot more reasons for, I, I feel like, for people to be more excited about a subway than LIRR, um, specifically just because of the better access for individual communities along the route. In the MTA's feasibility study, there would have been no LIRR stations along uh, the, the abandoned portion of the Rockaway Beach branch, only down south at Ozone Park um, and Howard Beach and at JFK. So all of these communities along the right of way would have gotten no additional transit access because of uh, if the MTA had moved forward with the LIRR uh, portion of the project with the subway uh, option, yeah. um, there would be four additional stations uh, along the route. So I, in terms of just affordability for one and also just better access, there's a lot of reasons to go for the subway over LIRR. Well, here's the big question then. What does each option do, or or can, what can each option do in terms of impacting commute times? Because people want to know how long it's going to take them to get to the city, especially as you go further south, even south of Ozone Park, where the right of way begins, into the Rockaways, because that right. beach line used to serve them as an LIRR branch, and people are pining for those days. I mean, maybe their grandparents or their parents lived it, but when they can get from Rockaway to Midtown Manhattan in under 40 minutes, uh, you know, yeah. what can we do now as a subway that can improve people's commutes? Yeah, and that's and you bring up a really good point um, that the LIR again would not go into rock the Rockways. We're proposing that the M would extend all the way all the way into the Rockways. Um, so again, all of if the LIR option was moved forward with, uh, all of those communities in the Rockways would receive no additional transit as a result. Um, so, I, I the commute time saving sense of the, the we only are adding four info stations on a, on a three and a half roughly mile stretch of, of new track um so we wouldn't be adding a ton of additional stopping time uh so we would actually see with an express transfer at, at jackson heights roosevelt avenue about a 40 minute uh trip from the rockaways into midtown manhattan which is about 20 minutes less uh in both directions than currently on the a train so that's on a very it's a quite a bit of time saving yeah i mean and, and you, you said so 60 minutes but that's if everything is going right i mean i've seen it 90 minutes at times correct yeah absolutely and that, and that also factor you have to factor in uh waiting time as well so if you're waiting uh, for a shuttle train that's arriving every 12 to 15 minutes on a rush hour um and you have to connect connect in howard beach again uh then there's more added time to that. So if you have a connect direct service uh, straight from whatever these stations are, Rockaway 116th Street, any of along the shuttle route, 
uh, you're going to be seeing time savings of upwards of 20 to 30 minutes, including the weight. Okay. So you would estimate that if this is done the right way, you could be able to travel from the Rockaways to Midtown Manhattan in 40 minutes? I would say, yeah. Okay. That's a huge game changer. If we can get it, it. is, it is. It's a, and, and this is all um, really going to be thanks in part to the increased frequency that we're going to see on the Queens Boulevard line as a result of that. So this is all, it, it, again, the subway is so interconnected and intentionally so. So whenever you add capacity in one place, you receive additional capacity in another, which is really fun and, and helpful for everyone, right? Everyone's, everyone wins. Yeah, you would think so. But this is what I'm hearing in the streets, right? That Queens Link is not going to happen. Unfortunately, Queens Way did that victory lap with the mayor and the press conference. And a lot of people now tell me, even on the Rockaways, they support the plan, but you're beating a dead horse. It's just not going to happen. Queens Way won. So what do you say to the cynics who will say that there's no chance? I, I say that there's always hope. And there's never any reason to back down from this. Uh, the best infrastructure projects didn't give up without a fight. Neither will we. So I, I, I personally, I, I don't think there's any hope in Queen's way. I, I think that, that people are going to realize that they, they're going to demand better transit. It, everyone, it, this is the other thing that I also want to bring up is that a lot of the Queen's way studies that they're, they're referencing here are were done about a decade ago, back when the trust for public land originally started pushing this idea. Um, so all the community engagement happened 10 years ago. Uh, all of the design kind of initial concepts had happened 10 years ago, and they've all just been kind of sitting, waiting for approval all this time. So it's a decade old. What's happened since then? We've had a massive pandemic. We've had a change in commuting patterns. More people are working from home. More people are commuting within um, their boroughs, interborough, uh, Express is a big part, a big push from that, I believe. And, and there's a lot of a lot of confusion with the Interborough Express with our project. They are two very separate things, and they serve different purposes, although they are similar in a lot of ways. Um, but that that is that is kind of the, the this pandemic has really changed the way that people think about transit and travel, um, and it's kind of and, and I hate to to uh, say this prematurely, but I feel like it's kind of brought up tra a transit renaissance in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm, I'm here's hoping that I, I feel like people are going to, to hear us out and see the benefits and really fight um, for their right to better transit. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of a, I was gonna say, I think that's kind of an interesting point um, with this idea of, of coming out of the, the pandemic and people staying home and working from home um, with people going, having to go back into the office more and more and getting back into that commute, it's now being confronted with how horrible some of these commutes can be. And so they're going to be looking for like, oh my God, I can't believe I've been doing this. I've been working at home. I wake up and, you know, I'm, I'd start working five minutes. Now I got to do like an hour and a half commute. And this is just ridiculous. This is not, this is not a good, a good deal here. So I think they're going to be looking at, you know, how to make things better in that commute type of thing. I think it's an interesting um, point that should be brought up. Yeah, absolutely. And going back to the Queen's Way and the viability of these plans, I used to say that Queen's Way doesn't pass the laugh test. I think Jasper was kind of on that same tip about, you know, they can make all these different announcements and have all these fancy renderings and do what they want to do. 
but the public is not going to be down with that once they're fully briefed on these issues which is why we're in the streets like we are we're doing the town halls we're doing the rallies we're trying to get the people more involved on this because let the people weigh in what are they going to say parks are great but if you can't even get to the park what's it going to do for you right so let's find a way to, to get people to where they're going quicker and yeah then they can get to the parks quicker they can get anywhere quicker but i think that takes the priority and most people agree and, and studies have shown we had a we posted on the queensland social media not long ago a study showing that most people around queens said that the transit was a priority over the new parks and so let, let the people weigh in on this um i agree with you jasper i, I think queensway doesn't have a chance at doing their project in a way that defeats transit and that's not just us saying that that's not just us being egotistical or biased because we're on that side that really reflects the reality of the situation in my opinion even when you speak with the elected officials we spoke with the governor's office we got the same message from them keep that line for transit the, the ceo of the mca publicly stated keep that line open for transit now you know different stakeholders have different interests in it and and it's this is city-owned property so we understand that you know the state can't tell the city what to do necessarily but nonetheless, when you listen to the people and you listen to the uh, people in power and on the ground and everywhere, everyone is really going to tell you, aside from the very few Queensway lobbyists and special interest folks, and there aren't that many of them, aside from, from a very small crowd, people are going to tell you we want that transit there. And so I think that is going to be the narrative that prevails because that's where the people are on this. Yeah, agreed. Um, it's, it's, it's really a changing um, tied, I feel like and I, a lot of people kind of let it all slide for so long. Um, now people are getting more and more involved and in, in really seeing how they can improve their lives through better transit. Um, and I, I think that it's not only just us, but also other advocacy organizations like uh, 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 Riders Alliance, who has been doing uh, their six minute service campaign. Um, which has seen incredible res results so far and a lot of people talking about it fix the mta as well as, as, as another sort of follow-up is um, that that's kind of branched off um there's a there's just a ton of conversation that's going on right now surrounding transit and i think that that conversation needs to keep going in order for queensland to succeed right it needs to keep going and we need people to take part in it and show those numbers make it a, a big story make it a thing will it into existence that's what that rally was and we saw the great coverage we got coming out of the rally in october new york one to the new york times everywhere we need the same kind of energy it can't be one and done it's got we got to keep it going and build on it and so that's why when we do an event like this town hall we need people to show up and be part of that conversation even if you just want to learn more about Queens Link. If you have a question, great. Maybe you'll think of a question when you're there. You don't need to ask a question. Just be there. Just show your support by being there. And let's show everyone that we have the support on our side. This isn't a few crazy people on, you know, a group chat saying we wish we had a train. This is where the people stand. But it's up to us to exhibit that and put it out into the world. So absolutely. That includes everyone listening, everyone watching. If you can make it, please, Ozone Park next Thursday. Let's come to this town hall. Let's make it a, a big success. Um, what can people expect coming to the, the town hall next Thursday? Uh, they can expect us to be there to answer any and all questions that they may have. Um, we're also going to give uh, a presentation along with just the sort of reception design uh, conversation as well. So we'll have uh, some debriefs about everything that we've been working on for the past couple of months, um, sort of where we stand with the city and, and the state uh, and the MTA. And moving forward, what, what would we like to see and uh, what we can do for Ozone Park and other communities going forward? Right. And, you know, you mentioned the IBX. 
Of course, that project very famously championed by the governor, and you would hear it in the State of the State address and so forth. We do need champions like that for the Queen's Link. Now, not to sell ourselves short, because we did send that letter with 15 signatures on it from officials throughout Queens, community boards. So there is a lot of support, but it would be nice to have someone like the governor or the mayor really pushing for this project. And it could be a legacy item for their tenure in office. I mean, like we said before, it's a real game changer. And you know what? On the other side of that, the people have to demand of the mayor, of the governor, of everyone, that you have to get behind this project. We as voters, as communities will not support you. I mean, we saw that in the 2021 mayoral race where certain candidates were trying to come out against the Queen's link and people of the Rockaway said, hey, if you want our support, you better support this because we've been fighting for transit for a long time and you can't continue to keep us cut off from the rest of the city. Once you're cut off physically, you're cut off politically, you're cut off socioeconomically, you're cut off in all different ways. And so that's why this is very important to have that interconnectivity. And you know, I really do wish that we had someone like the mayor or like the governor pushing for it. But again, it's up to us. And when I say us, I don't just mean myself and Jasper. I'm talking about the people, right? If the people of Queens and of New York City want this project, then we all need to make our voices heard and put that public pressure on because politicians respond to public pressure. That's just how the system works. And so we need that. And it's funny because I was just on Facebook. I was looking through my memories and it looks like uh, March 7th. So exactly two years ago, I was in a meeting with the mayor in Ozone Park. So very uh, apropos that this popped up just now. Let me um, see if I can share this here. This was, of course, during the campaign and the mayor was speaking to local civic groups and I was, well, actually wasn't the mayor at the time. It was a mayoral candidate, Eric Adams. And I was able to introduce him and, and welcome him to Ozone Park and share some of my thoughts. And so clearly at this meeting, indicating that he is there to be responsive to the people of Ozone Park, but we need to make sure that we hold his feet to the fire and remind him of that and say, listen, you came to Ozone Park, you wanted our support, our blessing. Well, the people of Ozone Park are loudly and clearly demanding your support of the Queen's Link. So let's make it happen. Okay, uh, Lixus uh, asking in the chat, what time next Thursday? So it's gonna start at 6.30 and it's gonna run till 9 p.m. Okay, is there going to be uh, an MC battle? Maybe. <laughs> maybe, okay. Cool. Hey, if anyone from the Queen's Way wants to battle, you know, maybe we'll get that going. Uh-oh, uh-oh. That's what's up. That's what's up. So, yeah, sounds like it'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be good. And it's good to get the, the message out to the community and have people's questions answered um, so they can actually know what it is that, that people are fighting for. Right. Right. And that's it. If nothing else, come and allow yourself to be more educated on the issue because it very clearly affects you. If you live in Ozone Park, especially that train runs right through your neighborhood, or at least the line does now that the train used to. So let's, you know, let's, let's have a conversation about what that might look like. And if you have any concerns, express them. Now is the time to do it because the whole idea of this also is allowing the public to participate in the implementation of the plan. And that was a big criticism we've had of the Queen's Way project, that a lot of it seemed to be done behind closed doors where you had those special interest groups and lobbyists and whoever it was buttering up certain people and say, hey, this is what we want. But where was the 
public participation in the whole process. You know, don't, don't just bring something on us. And so now is the time. We want to do that with the Queens Link so that as we move forward with our plan and as we get that seat at the table, we're presenting a vision that is consistent with what the community has been asking for. Right. So if you have concerns, voice them now and expect us to be responsive to them. And really, that's how it should be. I mean, anything, especially something as big and transformative as this, uh, either Queens Link or Queens Way, that's going to be put in a community, you should hear from the people in the community because they're going to be the ones that's ultimately going to be affected by it. It's going to either be con- either going to be helped or inconvenienced by it. So they their voices are definitely necessary. Right. It's, it's funny. I put up a post in one of the Ozone Park Facebook groups about the event and somebody commented, we want less cameras. So it's not really relevant to Queenslink, I guess, but that was something that they, they mentioned that they, they're, they, they think there are too many cameras in Ozone Park. Was it, was it like surveillance cameras? I believe so. Yeah. Probably, you know what? You know what I'm, now that I'm thinking of it, he's probably talking about red light cameras and speeding cameras. Uh, that okay. relates to transportation. Okay, okay. So, but you know, cell cameras. You know, I don't know if it's gonna lose and fight there. Well, but here's the thing: it, it does kind of relate because this is a matter of getting more people to be able to take public transit and be less reliant on vehicular transit. And in Southern Queens, in particular, the mass transit system is not at the point where it needs to be. That's why we're pushing for a project like Queensway. And so you have too many people who rely on cars, but they wouldn't if they had better public transit. And so there is a conversation in the city right now about these measures that are often interpreted as ways to tax drivers out of their vehicles or frustrate them or hit them with these fines. We covered it on here previously, Jay, with the cameras and you know, people not liking some of that. But another way to do it, right, instead of using the stick use the carrot method incentivize better public you know incentivize them to take public transit by giving them better public transit as opposed to just relying on punitive measures yeah yeah and we we also talked about it when um there was that proposal to um and i forget i forget what it was but um what would basically cost people to drive within in manhattan uh or across the bridge uh, yes um one more time congestion pricing yes the congestion pricing um we talked about it then and really, if you think about it, if something like that is, happens and people are still forced to do these long vehicular commutes, then they're going to be hit multiple ways, right? Um, because not only is it going to take the time, the extra time, the traffic that they deal with to get there, but then even to get to their destination, now it's going to be an extra expense on top of that. Whereas, you know, more transportation options, uh, you know, could be easier on their wallet, could be easier on um, traffic congestion, and just be easier all around. Yeah, and I, I feel like in order for us as a city to really have a real impact on reducing vehicular transit, um, like you said, Mike, we, we just have to increase our capacity to actually carry the people that would otherwise be driving. Um, and you do that with new lines and you do that with more service. Um, and that's kind of what we're two of the, the principal parts of our plan. So that right. is, you know, that's what we're trying. For people who still do have to drive, it'll reduce traffic. If you have more exactly. people on the trains, takes cars off the road, that's good for everyone, right? Even if you still have to drive sometimes. Yeah. 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 Good for the environment too. 
win all the way around. No, absolutely. It's really an imperative that we do this, which is why, again, I say that Queens Lake is going to win this battle, but it is a battle, right? It's a battle. We call it a battle for a reason. It's a fight and it's up to the people to make sure that it happens. We can't just sit back and have faith in the better idea prevailing because we know that in the, in the world, that's not really how it always works. It's up to the people though to force the change. And so I thank right. you, Jasper, for everything you're doing on this because you're really helping drive this forward. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for all of you, John, you helped us set up the location recently, so that's been an integral part of the group as well. So thanks for all your help as well. Yes, definitely. And, and shout out to the principal at MS-137 who very graciously offered the space to us. So very grateful for that opportunity. And I'm excited about this. I really hope we get a good turnout. And of course, this won't be the only one. I think we should take the show on the road, right? Go to, go to different neighborhoods and, and keep doing this. So let's, let's keep it up. Yeah, we will be keeping everyone updated on uh, upcoming town halls as well. We're going to, uh, I think, follow this up with the event in the Rockaways coming soon. So we'll keep everyone notified. Excellent. Excellent. So we did put a poll out last week on the topic of transit and really driving, right? We talked about the Mario Cuomo Bridge, which there's a bill now for it to be renamed to the Tappan Sea Bridge once again. And we asked people what they thought. Should it stay the Mario Cuomo Bridge? Should it be renamed? Of course, some controversy over the former governor naming it after his father, right? That, you know, people kind of thought that was a little cheap, I guess. But the question still is, do you want to keep it or do you want it to go back? And, you know, if you rename it, is that going to open the door to everything else being renamed? We talked about the Cots Bridge and RFK Bridge. I mean, you're just going to start restoring all the bridges names now. How is this going to work? And so I had interesting results on my poll. This is a very localized poll. Some of the polls we do put up on Reddit and the polls subreddit. Some we you know put on YouTube for shorts and, and things like that. But this one really is more a very local New York centric topic. And so we weren't going to get the response on those other forums, which have more of a national or international audience. But for the local followers on social media, I, I did run it on my Facebook and my Instagram page where I do get more local folks. And the result was split almost right down the middle, 50-50. Instagram and Facebook went two different ways. Not surprisingly, that's a theme that we've seen. Whereas most people on Facebook, about 60-40, said it should be renamed. Most people on Instagram, about 60-40, said it should stay the same. About evenly divided when you put them all together. Yeah, and, and on um, the poll, we usually also put it up on uh, Instagram and, as you mentioned, uh, YouTube as well. Um, but there wasn't really any engagement on this. I think it has to do because it is a very local, uh, a very local issue. Um, and then for, you know, it's the Internet. So you got audiences from all over. Might not even be aware of the Mario Cuomo Bridge or the Tappan Zee Bridge. So, yeah. Yeah, right. That's why a question like that, you really have to ask New Yorkers, right? And people. Yeah way in. and it's funny because you start parsing the responses and why people are responding they're not necessarily saying the why but you can kind of read into it some people i think are just more conservative minded voters or, or people and so they don't want anything named after cuomo or any you know any cuomo then some people look at it like you know why bother are there better issues to be focusing on why are we going in it and you made this point yourself jay last time Every time now, you know, let's say there's a new majority in the legislature, are they going to try to rename every renaming that the previous legislature did? I mean, is that what the game we're going to be playing now? So I think some people just don't see the point of going back. Right. Wait, what do you think, Jasper? Mario Cuomo Bridge or Tappan Zee Bridge? It'll always be the Tappan Zee for me. <laughs> Sorry. 
Do you have any roots in Westchester County or anything? I do not know. I'm from here. Okay. Because I, I do hear that from some people who grew up. Uh, we call it upstate. They, they would get mad if you called it upstate, but outside of New York City, right? In Westchester or beyond. It's, it's more relevant, I think, and near and dear to their hearts. And then they'll say the same thing. You know, it's always going to be the Tappan Sea Bridge. Of course, we should make note of the fact that it was named that way as a nod to the native heritage of that area. And so some people think that it should be restored for that reason. Uh, I think that's a good point. Um, yeah, that was actually also just brought up in the, in the chat, uh, chat as well. Uh, that was an homage to the Tappan tribe that inhabited the, inhabited the area. Yeah, no, absolutely. When it comes to the renaming, you know, I think people are looking at this as a political battle and, and almost a petty political battle because it's about Cuomo, right? If it was about another name, let's say it was the RFK bridge, then maybe you would take that element out of it. But because Cuomo, I think, is such like a lightning rod of a figure still, I mean, he was the last governor of New York, very controversial what happened. So people can be very impassioned, they can be emotional about that. And I do think there are people who just say, you know, take the name Cuomo off of everything, right? And then you have people on the other side who are like, well, well hold on a second. You know, he's not in office anymore, but it's just, just an attack on Democrats now. Is, is that what this is about? So I, I do think there's that political element there, too. What's yeah. that be having this conversation if he just hadn't renamed the bridge? <laughs> that is true. That is true. I think you're going to get that, you know, especially with um, longtime uh, New York residents, people who were born there, um, just that that change of it. It's like like uh, like Jasper, it's all, it's always going to be the Tappan Sea to, to a lot of people, uh, especially people from there. The only people who will recognize it as the, the Cuomo Bridge would be probably people that are immigrating into New York, coming in for the first time, where that's going to be the first name that they hear for the bridge. Yeah, or young people. But yeah, what does that mean, though? I mean, the Interborough was renamed the Jackie Robinson, right? Right. Most people in my generation call it the Jackie Robinson. It was that since I was young, but there are older people who still say, well, it'll always be the Interborough to me, but things do change. I mean, yeah. is that a reason to change it back to the Interborough? Cause some people don't want to call it Jackie Robinson. <sighs> you know, maybe someone's going to come on and be like, Hey, I want to, I want to change that to, you know, uh, something else. It's funny. There was um, a bill and I forgot where exactly I had seen it. it might have been a bill that was introduced previously in the New York State Legislature, but wasn't active anymore. But when I was working in the New York State Senate, I was looking for ideas uh, for legislation that we might want to introduce. And I came across this one where the Triborough Bridge, and this was before it was the RFK Bridge, or it might have been around that time when they were going to rename it the RFK Bridge. But there was an idea to say, let's not call it RFK. Let's, because it's the Triborough Bridge, we're going to name it after three different people in history. And you know, people who really didn't get their due. I forget the exact three people, but there were three different people, you know, for one for each of the boroughs that the bridge was gonna hit. Um, but it ultimately didn't go anywhere, you know. But that these ideas are always out there, right? Let's rename these bridges, let's rename these tunnels, let's rename everything after these different people. You know, sometimes they gain traction, sometimes they don't. But I think that people might want the legislature to focus on more pressing issues than just that because what ends up happening is we get deadlocked on these major issues and only seem to agree on sometimes on a bridge renaming and it's like well, that's all you guys are doing and even now it's like we can't even agree on that so you know yeah 
Yeah. Um, and I think that the three people that you're thinking of um, was actually all three people from the same family. And it was actually the same person. It was all Santos. Um, <laughs> each of the three people that were going to be re- recognized. I mean, ask him. He, he'll, he'll tell you. Yeah. I think, I think one span was going to be called Santos. One was going to be called like Devolder or something. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, crazy times we live in. I see Lix in the chat says, I never called it the Maricoma Bridge. She says, I didn't like the name even before Cuomo had his controversy. Natives in this country get the short end of the stick. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And she says, Jackie Robinson makes sense. He is buried by the cemetery that runs along the parkway. I didn't know that. So. You learned something new on, on Nuance. It's a wonderful thing. There you go. Well, speaking of learning, there is controversy now about the separation of church and state in schools and elsewhere in New York City. This is actually a story that James Powers, who often joins us here in the chat, brought to my attention, that the mayor is saying he doesn't believe in the separation of church and state. Effectively, he's saying, don't come to me with that nonsense. And obviously, this is rubbing folks the wrong way. I mean, this is the First Amendment to our Constitution, and it drives me crazy as a lawyer when people will tell me that there is no separation of church and state in the Constitution. Of course, those words are not written into the First Amendment, but read Supreme Court case history, you're going to find that concept dating back to the 1800s. I mean, and and this is really a cornerstone of what the First Amendment and the Constitution was about, (laughs) keeping the government out of it. I mean, this is why people came to the the New World, right, in the first place. They were trying to escape that. So, yeah, freedom of religion also means the freedom from religion. And, and right. we need to have separation of church state. It doesn't mean, by the way, that people have to ignore their values. I mean, I understand there's always going to be some kind of interlap, right? We're shaped by our values, and then we can get our values from all different sources. Maybe some of that might be, and really it's hard to, to divorce ourselves from this kind of Judeo-Christianity culture, that Judeo-Christian culture that we have. And and maybe our own personal upbringing and, and belief system and, and whatever. That's, that's all well and good. But when it comes to official government policy, I think we've got to be very careful with that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and so to, to make it clear, what um, Mayor Adams said is he was speaking uh, and he said, uh, don't tell me about no separation of church and state. State is the body. Church is the heart. You take the heart out of the body, the body dies. I can't separate my belief because I'm an elected official. When I walk, I walk with God. When I talk, I talk with God. When I put policies in place, I put them in with a godlike approach to them. That's who I am. And he went on and said that uh, the lack of faith can be linked to everything from homelessness to domestic violence to guns in schools. Um, you know, he said we took prayer out of schools and the guns came into schools. And I think this is a very dubious link. Um, because to, if that were the case, then everywhere that wasn't his religion would have had these problems, right? So he's saying, oh, we took this out and then this came in. But, you know, you don't see, you don't see certain these problems in places like, you know, like Japan, like, like India, whatever, where they have different religions or, or hardly any religion. Um, or different parts of the country where they don't have these types of things. So, right. Well, I think, though, to be fair, he would probably argue that it doesn't matter what faith you have as long as you have faith, right? I don't think he's saying that his religion is the best in, in this particular argument, right? I think he's just talking about the distinction between faith and no faith. So he'd probably say even in those areas, they do believe in God or they're religious or spiritual in some way. Um, it's possible. 
uh, it's possible, but you know, that's not what he's in office to do. And not everybody that he's over that he's representing, um, has some sort of a faith. Uh, and they all have various different types of face. And even some of those face could be, you know, at odds with each other. Um, he's in office, as you know, you mentioned, as far as the idea of the separation of church and state. Um, and the um, NCL, New York Civil Liberties Union, um, said in order for our government to truly represent us, it's, it must not favor any belief over another, including non-belief. And on matters of faith, the mayor is entitled to his own beliefs. But on the Constitution, he must uphold his oath. So, right, that, that's spot on. But I mean, I understand some of what he's getting at, just in terms of we're shaped, we're all shaped by our beliefs. We can't remove ourselves from that, and that's fine. Like, if you believe murder is wrong, why? Right? Maybe it, it originates with the Ten Commandments, and maybe there are other reasons as well. But you know, whatever, like whatever your belief system is, that's fine. We can't expect politicians who are people to not have that and to not live by that. And we we just we understand that. Right. right. When you start making statements like he, I think he's walking a dangerous line now where he's suggesting that we can take separation of church and state out of government. I mean, maybe he's not saying that explicitly, but that's how it's starting to sound and how right. he's talking there. And that is concerning to people. Right. Um, and he was doing this. Um, uh, what was that? It was at a, an annual breakfast for faith based leaders in Manhattan. So this is also the audience that he was speaking to were faith based leaders. So. He could be speaking to the audience, you know, that's something that they want to hear as well. Nobody works a crowd like him. <laughs> and that um, was, you know what, that's a good point, though, that you bring that up, because that was a big knock on him during the mayoral campaign, that it seemed like he was saying different things to different audiences. And mm -hmm. it's almost like he wasn't realizing that we're in the age of smartphones now and people are listening to what you're saying. You know, you're not in a private room anymore anywhere. So that was an issue. Right. Um, you know, to some people, it sounded like he was very pro-police and others, it sounded like he was very pro-police reform. It's not that those things are necessarily mutually exclusive, but sometimes the way he was talking about it, it seemed like he was pandering a little too much, leaning into one side or the other, depending on which room he was in. So, I mean, this could be pandering. It could be how he really feels. I think his actions are what's going to bear that out. But if he does, could, could there be, uh, I mean, his oath is to honor the separation of church and state. And if he starts to govern in a way that does not honor that, it's going more faith-based. Um, is there any recourse for that? Or is there any accountability for that? Well, the question, though, is how, right? How is he governing or how would he be governing even in this hypothetical scenario? Right. In a way that was faith-based. I mean, because you could have a secular justification for almost anything, right? It'll be one thing if he's saying, <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to propose the city council pass this bill in the name of God or, and, and, you know, and, and, and write all religious language into the, into the bill. But in all likelihood, that's not going to happen because they have lawyers there who are going to say, hey, that's an unconstitutional framing of legislation. With that said, there's most likely going to be a way to do almost anything that appears to be religiously neutral, but might be influenced by faith. Right. And, and that is like I said, it's, in itself, it's not a bad thing, but it depends on how it's done. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I mean, but it is it is kind of an alarming thing for someone in his position to to make that statement when this is kind of what, like you said, I mean, it's kind of what people left for the new world for. Um, and one of the foundations of the country is this this separation of church and state, not be um, not be victims or, or targets of 
religious persecution, whether that's going to be um, for what you believe or for what you don't believe in, in regards to someone else's beliefs. So, right. And, you know, I, I guess to entertain that hypothetical question even further, you would start to see it in a way that became clearly unconstitutional if you started doing things like excluding groups for not belonging to a certain religion or saying that you, know, you have to show that you're a Christian or that you believe in God to work for the city. If you start doing things like that, then the remedy would be going to court and having it declared unconstitutional and having those policies reversed. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a, yeah, kind of a, an, something to keep an eye on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also it's disheartening when an elected official doesn't seem to understand or really grasp these fundamental concepts. I mean, I, I just think a concept like separation of church and state should be treated with more deference if you're going to be the mayor of New York, right? Yeah. You shouldn't be in a room saying, don't tell me about separation of church and state. I mean, you should be saying, I honor that above anything else. It's my duty to the people, you know? Absolutely. I don't take issue with him saying he personally believes a certain thing. That, that's fine, right? But when you start basically saying you don't believe in one of the founding principles of America, and that's part of our First Amendment and our Constitution, then it becomes troublesome. Right. Absolutely. Like he could have that. That that's where it sounds a little bit more pandering, um, because the audience was a faith based uh, faith based leadership. Um, whereas it could have come out a different way and said, you know. I am a man of faith and whatnot, my, but my duty is this. And so um, that would have been a better way of, of getting that across instead of how he said that. Right. You know, and there are ways to do that, too. He could be in a room of clergy and say in a way that even appeals to them. He can say, yes, I understand I'm bound by the Constitution and the First Amendment and the separation of church and state is wonderful. Right. But, you know, I believe in God. I believe in the same things you do have the same values as you. And this all can coexist. Right. This doesn't have to be at odds with each other. Right. And then but they and they at the same time, those leaders need to understand that their religion is not the law of the land. Uh, and they don't they're not owed any any influence over the way our society is governed because they have whatever their belief is. Because there's, you know, 20 other people with beliefs who think their their way is the only way. And, you know, we can't, we can't function that way if, if, if one's just going to cater that way. And, and we do kind of, to be fair, we do kind of have that. I mean, largely the Christian way is, or the Christian ideology is, is what our country um, has front and center. But even just kind of ideologically, you've got to be able to step back and say, okay, look, we're going to try to make this open or these spaces or, or whatnot that's more society-focused instead of faith-focused. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there are ways to do it, to thread that needle. It really even should, should need to be a needle that needs to be threaded. I mean, yeah, the idea that we have a separation of church and state shouldn't be seen as like some kind of attack on religion people are entitled to practice whatever religion they want yeah welcome and celebrate it too it's you know it really shouldn't be a matter of controversy yeah yeah and you should also remember that people of no faith also have beliefs and can be influenced by you know their own lives and don't need faith to, to make good sound judgment so yeah. right and that's a, an important point yeah and, and i think you know, on that note, when he says things like we didn't have school shootings until you took the prayer out of school, that becomes a problem, right? When you start saying things like that, that does sound like 
pandering to a certain demographic and it, it's it's kind of dangerous actually to engage in it that especially when it's not true <laughs> right pandering or just just or just that that starts to creep into the religious dogma so to speak um where this this way is the way type of thing but you know like i said it's just simply not true um i mean and no of course we didn't have school shootings before like we did like we did you know do these days where it's more commonplace but we haven't had prayer in schools there weren't prayer in schools in like the 90s or or you know 80s as far as like mandates you're talking like your parents grandparents generation that might have had it more in schools and we didn't have the school shootings in that time either this is more of a, a recent thing right you know? and there are other parts of the world that also don't have prayer in schools and they're not seeing school shootings now yeah, no. does not exist he's trying to make something of nothing yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. i mean you know or he's trying to gain or keep support from faith-based leaders and religious communities that's that's in the equation yeah. as well but I think it should be, you know, whatever you do should be done in an intellectually honest way. Right. That's one of the things I really dislike in in, um, in anything, but in politics in particular, is when people speak in, in a very disingenuous way. Like, you know, that's not right. You know, it's wrong, but you're just doing that either to, to court with whoever's in front of you right now. Um, yes, it's not cool. Well, again, it goes back to the people, you know, will the people demand accountability for this type of thing, for, for anything, right? Or are we just going to sit back and watch the show? Or are we going to take part in this and right. demand a change and, you know, demand people be responsive to our needs, which includes not insulting our intelligence, right? Coming at us with respect, speaking to us uh, in a consistent way, in an intellectual, the honest way. And I think it's important for the people to to demand that of their leaders, of, of everyone, you know, right. it's, it's that's what we try to do here. So we, we try to keep people honest. But I guess then, since we're asking people think about this, we can make this the poll question of the week. Uh, of course, this is relating to the mayor's recent comments on the separation of church and state and how he doesn't seem to believe in it. So the poll question of the week is, do you believe that the separation of church and state is important for us to uphold in our government? Yeah, I think it's a... Uh... That's a good one to, to ask. Um, and I think I, I expect some varied responses, especially in such a polarized environment that we're in now, um, where, and I remember Obama kind of alluded to something like that, when people are in certain straits, they, they cling to certain beliefs. And so I think we're in that type of environment where people are going to start clinging to certain beliefs, like, you know, oh yeah, we def we definitely need it because my religion is this and that, and so it needs we need to have that for everybody. Um, but again, there are people with different types of faiths, different beliefs, different gods, different rituals, and even uh, as um, as Jasper pointed out, people who of no faith, people who don't believe in any specific religion, um, right? Any organized religion, maybe they're just maybe they're spiritual, maybe they're they're neither. Uh, or none you know yeah, whatever, so. you, whatever it is agnostic atheist however you categorize yourself it doesn't matter all of those beliefs or lack thereof are just as valid in the eyes of the law and that needs to be respected right, you, right. the law cannot per the constitution favor a religion over another it can't favor religion over non-religion it just it just has to be neutral on the subject right so, so hopefully that remains respected i mean we really you know most are thrown away the first amendment we're in trouble 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the only the only belief system that the government should be upholding is that of the Jedi Order. Other than that, <laughs> that's and that is your faith. <laughs> yes, I'm a member of the Church of the Jedi. All well, hail Master Yoda. It, it's it's a funny thing. I guess it's ironic that we're talking about the First Amendment here, and that's the freedom of religion, which includes the freedom from religion. But there are a lot of people who might say that we don't need the separation of church and state and also say that we do need free speech, but they're both part of the first amendment. And how could you really divorce one from the other and say, everyone should be able to speak freely, but you have to practice only one religion or the state has to, should, should be able to acknowledge one religion over another. I mean, that's impeding on your first amendment rights. And it's really the same kind of right, whether you call it speech or religion, it's the same flavor of right. I don't know how you can square the two. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and then you run into what? what is the, the I mean, it's kind of the, like the fear that, that people have of, of Sharia law coming to the United States is because it's basically faith based ruling uh, or, or governing. And so, like, you know, either it's it's OK in one sense or it's not OK, you know, so. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So is it only OK if it's your religion? Is that what right. you're saying? Separation of church and state, there's got to be a church. Right. So it's, it's a scary it? thing. Yeah. So. Uh, let's see. Let's see. <laughs> Paul Trust in the chat is saying something. He sent, I guess he's centering the word God. But can you understand what he's saying? A C H G O D S? I have no idea. I, I saw that too. There's a, a G hyphen D A. I don't, I don't understand what that means. Think maybe he meant God's will. Maybe it's supposed to be an S. I know that in Judaism, they don't like to write out God, so they put the dash in there, like G-D. So okay. That refers to, but I'm not sure what ACH, I'm not sure what he's really saying there. But he says there are a lot of atrocities and genocides that occurred under the umbrella of God's will. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about pretty much most of them. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, uh, Let's put that on front street. I mean, you talk about the Crusades. Uh, you're talking about, you know, um, the, the, the transatlantic slave trade was was justified by many as, as God's will. Like, that's, I mean, what about um, uh, the missionaries that went through all different countries and ravaged native belief systems and native cultures? This was all under the auspices of, of bringing God and Christianity. You know, they were told... The, the native Hawaiians weren't allowed to practice hula because that was against the Christian God. So that was banned in their own lands for a long time. Same with um, certain practices in Japan when when the missionaries came and saw they were in these hot springs and doing these communal baths. They're like, no, no, you can't, you can't do that. So now these days, all that stuff is separate. Um, and a lot of these native countries uh, and cultures have faced this, and this was under. Uh, someone's religion, someone else's religion. So yeah, that's it's nonsense. So there's a conversation in the chat right now where Lixa says the Roman Catholic Church supports Democratic candidates. And then James says, I went to Catholic high school and junior high. Junior high, they didn't get political. High school, they were all anti-abortion and they wanted Bush to win the 2000 election. Yeah, I also grew up in a Catholic background. I'm not familiar with the church supporting a Democratic candidate. Maybe if you go back to the Kennedy generation, I think a lot of people were big on JFK because he was Catholic. But in recent years, I haven't really seen that. And 
the Catholic Church doesn't seem to get too overtly political, even in terms of speaking directly on elections. I mean, they'll kind of put it, sometimes you'll see priests and clergy kind of put in their little political opinions in there, and, and I don't like that. But on the whole, I don't see them saying, <laughs> we as a church support this candidate. I mean, they'd be afraid, I think, of losing their, their tax haven if they did something right. like that. But on the other hand, you you do see sometimes in Protestant churches, they try to do it in a more outwardly neutral way, but you'll see them do things like bring politicians or even candidates for office into the church to address the congregation. That's something yeah. that you won't see typically in a Catholic church. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if they're they're allowed to to I don't think they're allowed to like publicly endorse any candidates because like you said, they can lose their tax exempt status in that regard. Yeah, and I've yet to see. Lixo says the Pope supported Biden. Is that true? Did the Pope make an endorsement of Biden? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, and and if he did, that's you know he's from another country, so I mean that's <laughs> it wouldn't um, apply here. Um, I've never seen. I'll, I'll tell you this. I've been inside Catholic churches. I have yet to see in my life anyone in a Catholic church. I'm talking about the the clergy, the priest. When people, not, I'm not talking about people in the pews. I'm talking about the people actually running the church. I've never seen them go out and say, vote for such and such candidate in my life. Like, <clears throat> we'll also say it again. Like, like. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Catholic, Catholic church. Oh, oh, oh my bad, my bad. That's my point. I've never seen that in a Catholic church. I've seen some sermons where they kind of threw in some beliefs and it kind of made you think a certain way. So they're definitely trying to get that in there. And, and I've had problems with that. But again, overtly saying, you know, we endorse such and such a vote. I haven't seen that. Right, right. So. And I also never saw them bring a candidate and speak. In fact, you and I, Jay, we went to a church once talking to the priest, one of the priests there, and he was a little taken aback, like, why are you you're a candidate for office? Why are you even speaking to us? Yeah. So here in the chat, the question is, didn't the cardinal say gay people aren't welcome in St. Patrick's Cathedral? So you do see some of that, and that's what I was saying. Some of these political opinions get thrown in there, I think, um, inappropriately. Of course, they'll say it's it's just their religion they're not trying to be political but right when they're talking about very politically charged issues i don't think there's a need to do that because it does turn off some people who don't agree with that i think there should be space for people to practice a religion without having to follow those political beliefs and i, I think seen, in that, uh, yeah in i've that seen for example I, i've seen that the priest of the catholic church say that he's pro-life and, and you know so he's basically signaling to people vote against candidates who support abortion without saying those words Right, because then in, in it's kind of a way to to because they can look at it and say, well, no, this is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. This is a religious issue. Um, this is what's yeah. right issue, and so they can dodge that. Yeah. And when I was spending some time in Virginia at one point, I was looking around to see what the churches were out there, and I saw on the face, not on Facebook, on the website of the local Roman Catholic Church. This was back when Obama was president. There was a link to write to President Obama and demand that he stop sanctioning the genocide of babies wow okay. that's like really dipping your toe i mean that's really getting too political that's yeah i think that yeah i think yeah they would be very uh much at risk of that getting their tax exempt status revoked because now that's that's very much throwing your hand into the political speech there right right and at the time it was like all right but between mccain and obama uh, mccain was more of a war hawk and obama wanted to get out it maybe yeah. didn't exactly play out the way we wanted it to but of, of the two choices obama seemed like the less war friendly candidate and no one was thanking him for trying to get us out of the wars and stopping the, the killing of, of people in war they were just right. saying 
you know, but the fetuses. Right, right. So, like in the same vein, you would expect you would expect that the the church would have like a line in there as far as like you know oh you know no no war let's get out of war and that you would think that they'd be promoting that because of well and and to be fair sometimes they do like when they say their prayers in the mass sometimes they'll say let's pray for the wars to end and things like that so that that's in there but it doesn't seem like that gets enough of the emphasis as compared to issues like james mentioned the gay marriage or the you know abortion type issues yeah you know and and from what I understand, a lot of that was orchestrated as a political measure, as a way to get people back, you know, conservative-minded people back into the fold. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nixon mentions the Catholic Church is generally pro-life, they're against even birth control. And that's, I think that's another point as well, like, it's kind of known as far as Catholic Church and diehard Catholics don't, you know, are against birth control and using birth control. Not that people actually do it, but that's kind of the well yeah that has always been kind of the interpretation yeah bible and and that was the, the church and a pope stance i believe though he relaxed the pope relaxed his stance on birth control recently i think they're trying to get with the times a little bit of course they're still behind a lot of the world but they're trying to modernize in some ways yeah yeah so so yeah whatever it is like you know going back to the overall discussion like whatever it is that you believe and you practice cool as long as it doesn't infringe on other people's beliefs and stop them from doing what they want to do that should be the way the world works and the government certainly shouldn't be trying to influence that in any way and just make sure and 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 that's why we say by the way when churches speak on this and they get too political well it does involve the government if the government is giving them tax breaks right so yeah you got to keep that in mind too yeah so you know use birth control jasper that's that's kind of what this comes down to Way ahead of you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we had a very nuanced and productive discussion. Once again, the Queens Link Town Hall in Ozone Park is next Thursday at 6.30 p.m. What is the name of that school? And it's MS-137. What is it? The School School of the Heroes? Or what is the name? Yeah, the School of American Heroes. School of American Heroes. Yes. And so be an American hero next Thursday and join us to take part in the Queens Link discussion. We will have renderings and designs kind of show us, show you all our updated plans. But also we're here to answer questions that you might have and get your input on how you think this all looks. What are your concerns with the plan? What are your questions? What are your suggestions? Be a part of the conversation. Help us shape the city that we want to see. You know, we want you all to be part of that. And we want to do something different from what the other side has done. They've excluded people. We're trying to include people. And we're trying to show everyone that this is what the people want. So come join us and be part of that. Absolutely. Couldn't say it better myself. And Jasper, well, you're going to have to because we have something here called the bottom line where we give the guest the last word. But it could be whatever you want it to say. It could be on Queens Link or on whatever's on your mind. Um, whatever comes to your, your head. What would you like the people to know? Jasper, then, I'm sorry, Jasper von Seberg, what is the bottom line? Bottom line is, uh, no matter how many uh, new lines we build, no matter how many um, new services we add to the subway, congestion pricing is a must if we're going to get uh, our climate goals to where they want we want them to be. Transportation is a massive uh, factor of carbon emissions and if we're going to take this seriously we should join cities like london uh who have already implemented congestion pricing 
programs and and really take this seriously. So that's my bottom line. Okay. You might get some heat from Queens. I know you're in Manhattan, but we will give you a right. bottom line. So that's, 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 that's what's on you. So there you go. That's Jasper's mm -hmm. bottom line. We thank everyone for tuning in. As always, Jay, where can people find us? Uh, find us on YouTube at Nuance Show. Um, also Instagram, Nuance Show. So go there, subscribe, uh, follow for both of those. Uh, if you got anything to say, um, comments, you want to take part in the conversation, yeah, we, those comment sections are definitely open. Uh, also, the podcast portion of this will be on any place podcasts are. So uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, what have you, anywhere you get your podcast and automatic, automatically push to your device. So go there and subscribe as well. Excellent. And we thank you all for tuning in. As always, we will catch you next week. We've got work to do, guys. Let's keep at it. Have a good night.